Hong Kong Confidential, a podcast with Jules Hannaford, is designed to educate and entertain my audience. It's an interview-style show where many topical social issues are discussed and personal stories are shared. The podcast can be inspiring, confronting, harrowing and at times hilarious. All of the stories have uplifting messages. We all need to be heard to heal and listening to the experiences of others can often help the rest of us deal with whatever life has to throw at us. Find Hong Kong Confidential on Ozcast Network at www.ozcastnetwork.com. Hong Kong Confidential is also available on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher and YouTube and anywhere that you can find your podcasts. Check out Hong Kong Confidential today. This conversation touches on quite a few complicated topics. It doesn't really go into very big descriptions of any of these topics, but it does include bullying, toxic work environments, domestic violence, and everything that comes with talking about Me Too and the abuses of power that are being highlighted in the entertainment industry and that exist within all industries. It's recording now. I might move it around a bit to get better levels, but don't really worry about that. Although that's less relevant this time because I'm holding it between us. On a tri-swing. That's right. I guess we'll start the episode with a description of where we are before we go into the theme music, which is a weird place that we are. We're swinging on a swing. We are. We're in one of the installations in the Tate Modern Turbine Hall. It's really bad. I'm sorry. I can't remember whose installation it is, but it's a mixture of swings that you can swing in and then there's a very stripy carpet but not carpet with yeah, a big looks silver like, pendulum yeah the, the carpet that's not carpet looks like stairs yeah. so it's like one of those like magic eye pictures or something it looks like you should be able to stand Step on them like it. steps but you can't i initially thought we should record underneath that swinging pendulum but that's very noisy it is uh, and it's, compared to the swings it's a bit mesmerizing whereas the swings are there's lots of people swinging all at different speeds and heights so this is a little less kind of mesmerizing and insular right Right, that's right. It's the opposite time of year to when I recorded with your co-host from your podcast. That was one of the hot days of the year, oh, like really? the first sunny days of the oh, year. Okay. We recorded in my back garden because it was yes, so hot. Yes, I remember. Hot, right. Outdoors and the gardens and yeah. was there a gardener with a bees? And there probably was some, yeah. some stuff going on out there. And then now it's like the coldest time of the year, really, or starting to be. It's coming up to Christmas because you, you come our here Christmas from work, Christmas work. Yeah, our Christmas work's lunch was today, which I was in charge of organising. So my first for the, the organisation. So I think it went well. Good. It was good. Yeah. Well, it's ended at quite a good time. Work dues that end really late, I don't really dig. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, our, our boss had to go back to the office because a meeting was arranged and it wasn't rearranged. So that was a little bit sad. And then we kind of tapered and there's a few people who went to the pub for an extra drink. But I don't think it's going to be those ones that's <laughs> going to be on until like one in the morning or anything. Right. Well, thanks for coming here from that missing extra kind of bonding time with your colleagues. We'll be all right. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. So today we're getting better acquainted with Helen. Hello, Helen. Hello. (laughs) 
and that's even weirder than normal because we'd literally had an on mic conversation before I did it normally it's weird anyway because I've already talked to people before saying hello the first question that I ask everybody is how do you know me so I it's through Kobe really <laughs> the magic connector of everything so he is a magic connector of everything, he is yeah. he's um <laughs> he knows so many people so I think the first time we met was at a podcaster's Sunday lunch. Right. I think that was the first time we met, and then you you and Jen came on the podcast after that. That's right. I think that's so, right, yeah. yeah. Felix was there. I think Helen was there as well. Right, right. Um, All three of those people have been on the show? This is it. Already? And that was my first proper introduction to the podcast family as it was and then obviously you and Jen came on to record with us on the Flixwadger podcast that me and Kobe record. That's right and that was great fun to do I really loved doing that show it was a, a while before it came out which is I, it's nice to get that experience because a lot of my guests have that experience so it's good to, to have it from the other side and then when it came out I was so pleased with the results actually. I think that was Jen's first ever pod- maybe it was her first ever podcast that she went on I'm not sure maybe we'd done oh, really? maybe we might have done song by song before that I'm not sure which so way she's round. not been in front of the podcast. No, then. she's normally oh, she's normally in, not in front in the, of the mic. In the back scenes. If, yeah, if she can avoid it, she does. She she she's the voice of our credit sequence because we want to make sure that it's clear People that she's it. involved in it because that's the problem with it, with that particular show, the family tree that we're kind of slightly referencing. The world of the show, I'm the person who's doing everything, but in reality, it's me and Jen. So we like we tend to lead with her if we can. So that people understand it's, it's definitely both of us. Like, it's hard enough anyway, I imagine, to get equal kind of credit given to a man and a woman doing something. And then exactly. we've made it hard for ourselves. Yeah, well, it was, it was really interesting, obviously, when you came on the, the Flix Watcher podcast. Basically, the choice of the lobster was the, the popular choice of the time. So um, right. scooped in and got we that got one straight there. away, yeah. I do like that film a lot, although it's, it's got a kind of peculiar ending. But that was Jen's choice as well, yeah. And I, I kind of almost feel like I, I missed my I missed my chance because I chose a film I hadn't seen, whereas she chose one that she knew she liked. Yeah, so I guess that's cheating. I don't know. Really. I I think it's it's exciting when we get someone on and they haven't seen it. We've had it a few times where they're like, oh well, I thought I would just go for it, and the results are either like <laughs> it's amazing or it was absolutely terrible. Right. And we we don't really know that until we get people on. So. You're watching the film and you're kind of like, did they know it was going to be this amazing or did they know it was this <laughs> terrible? So it's right. until we meet someone and find out about why they chose the film, we we don't really know right. what to expect or yeah, I mean, anything I guess like that. It's like Desert Islandists or any of those things. Like It, it tells you something about the person, what exactly, they choose. Yeah. And, and that's kind of, yeah, you, and it's a nice idea. Like, it's nice that you don't know which way around it is until they're this in there. It. That's great. So Flix Watcher is a podcast about film, yeah. making use of Netflix as a kind of useful yeah. way of everyone being able to watch the film, listeners as well as the guests. Right? That's it, yeah. So it's just an accessible platform that the film is or has been available on Netflix and if it's not, then it probably will be again. I think more for me, Netflix is kind of watching those films that maybe have been on your list, but you haven't quite got round to them or ones that have just arrived or I don't know really it's because there's so much on there and it's a bit crazy it's hard to arrange and sort of sort through so it's it's like having a sort of random personal guide right 
exactly. It's, it, it, I mean, it is hard to find things on Netflix. It is, yeah. Um, so that's Good one things. of the services you're providing. I tend to watch TV series as well nowadays on Netflix or whatever. Like, I'll go out and see films occasionally. TV tends to be the thing. Yeah, yeah. so it was kind of nice to kind of like remember that films existed in the Netflix setting. And you and Kobe know each other through a, a film quiz, right? That's yeah, why you so make that podcast. Back in, I think it must have been 2014, Ben, who runs Top Film Tip on Twitter, basically tweeted out saying, I'm thinking of joining the Bigger Boat Film Quiz. Anyone interested in doing that? And I responded and said, yeah, I'd be up for that. And Ben and Kobe, I believe, went to university together. So Ben basically assembled this quiz team from people who... He kind of knew either in person or through Twitter or through, he knew Gareth through Sabotage Times. So we assembled a quiz team from various connections and uh, we're still quizzing strong today. <laughs> and that's we, through that time we've introduced more people and obviously me and Kobe have become a lot closer doing the, right. the podcast together. So it's become from something that was slightly strange to respond to to being something that's a real friendship group right and what what made you decide to respond i don't know i think i'd been in london for maybe a year and i was just looking to meet new people and do more things and uh, basically in the same week i went on one of the quizzes and also did a insta meet with the igers london photography club which is a thing that they do they well they used to do quite often it was just basically you go along and meet random people off the internet really i mean that's the way to do it really yeah i like, guess so find a common interest and then find those people and go and meet them i mean it's kind of a good combination really like london and the internet like the internet allows us to find all these people who have the same interest as us but london's so big that some of those people will be in the same city this is it yeah <laughs> and obviously the things that they're genuinely interested in it's like well oh we like taking photos so let's go to a really nice place where we can take photos and all chat to each other and share images right because again that's another thing like london is a a maze in a a good way like you always find new little things about london so uh, i I imagine for photographers like yeah getting together and sharing places that you can take great pictures is a good good model to do so okay so you're, you're into taking pictures uh, and, and you're into film, so I can see a, a kind of pattern forming, I guess. Although it's always kind of a little bit easy to form patterns. Um, but before I sort of like get more general in terms of questions, the second question that I ask everybody is, uh, what do you do now? <laughs> so this is really interesting because had you have asked me uh, eight months ago, it would have been a do you sort of mean like in a, in a job term? Like, right. what what do you do? I mean, it's something that has been quite tricky for me for the last four years because I moved to London with sort of the envision of being a teacher so I I trained um, to be a teacher and that was kind of the long-term plan and moved to London and ended up in a school that was horrific to say the least and left that and ended up in a position where I had literally no idea what I was going to do and from there through kind of look acquaintances and what I was interested in has sort of to now ended up in a job role that I didn't even know existed when I was kind of 16 17 so 
Uh, currently, I'm a communications assistant for the Innovation Foundation, Nesta, wow. which um, is great. I've been there since July and uh, successfully organised a Christmas party today, so that was good. <laughs> And I support the communications team and work closely with the director in basically helping um, put Nesta's message out into the wide world Great. and uh, help internally as well. So, yeah, it's, it's been good. But before then, in between teaching and now, I've been doing a lot of freelance work, odd job work here and there. So it's been, it's been really great, but I'm enjoying the stability. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyone who's missing a salary for sure. That I mean, I really, I did really enjoy. This is what I said in the interview. They sort of said, you know, you've you've done all these amazing events, and you know, you've you get to do all these amazing experiences and things. And it's like, actually, I'm I'm looking forward to kind of putting all my energies into one place and giving one channel. So, I mean. Freelance is great, but it does have its downfalls, and it, it is—it's <laughs> very stressful. And unless you're kind of a freelancer who is, the role is freelance, but you've got regular clients, right, or right. you've got—you know—it's okay. We'll employ you year by year, then it's fine. But once one project ends and the next begins, it's—it's it's really hard work. Right, and I—I I also think with freelance, it's an interesting thing as well. Like when we say freelance, we mean a million different jobs. Because, like, no it really depends what you what you have to offer, like how regular the work will be, or what the what the yeah. market out there is for it. Because, like, I, I feel like there are commonalities between freelance experience. We're all often waiting for our invoices to be paid, for example, or and we're often unsure about where the next money's going to come from. And but we're also that, incredibly flexible with our time. Right. But there's no. I mean, for me, I worked in a lot of festivals and events, so I would know that from May to September, I'd be, like, completely busy. But then from September to March, February, it was just like, well, no one's going to put a festival on, so there's going to be nothing there that would happen. So it would be, what could you pick up in that time? Right, and it means you're going to be busiest, like, during the funnest times if you're doing festivals too? Yeah, I mean, you miss weddings and you you kind of miss other things as well. You miss, for doing it in London, you miss London when it's, like, really lovely and you can get to spend, like, endless days in fields and at barbecues and things. But it's one of those things. (laughs) No, and it is an interesting one, like like as a freelancer who sells I guess my own work my own art or my own editing time or skills like it's a it's it, yeah it's interesting like my busy time is like uh, the middle of November because that's when International Men's Day is so everybody like knocks on my door and says oh well, we'd like a show about masculinity uh, but the rest of the year no one's knocking on my door for masculinity shows uh, and if I ever suggest doing it anywhere people are like uh, oh, we've, got, we've got plenty of women to talk about uh, feminism. We don't need you to talk about masculinity. And I'm like, I know what you mean. I, I, I don't want to take work from those women, obviously, but I am doing a slightly different thing. I do need to make a living. <laughs> well, yeah, and also I'm doing a different thing. Like, it, it, It's not like you can say, well, I've got uh, 20 women talking about feminism, so I don't need a man talking to men about masculinity. It's like, that's a, it's a different thing. I was like, slightly going on a frustrated tangent then about... About not 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 managing to get very much work, but I'm I'm intending to change my attitude in the next year to like rather than ask people like rather than kind of like please please can you give me a job yeah. kind of say hey 
I can do this. Hire me to do that. Yeah. You know, like, like, I don't know, be assertive, something like that. I've, I've just had a lot of therapy, so that'll help. <laughs> yeah, I think going in with something that you can show people instantly, so even if it's testimonials or even if right. it's a short audio clip with a, you know, a card with a link people can go in and listen to, right. something like that, and they can see see what you've got you know because they'll maybe you'll go to an event and you'll give a card and it'll be like oh click this link and they'll on the way home have a listen to it or something yeah well, you've got to you've got to be you've got to be really inventive and really creative to make people take notice of what you've got right and also what i'm realizing as well is you've got to have a little bit of like uh like poker face you've got to like wait like you, you like i've been saying yes to everything because i need the money and it's meant that i've had no time to like really seek out the really good things that i could you know get better money for but also that i'd enjoy yeah <laughs> or you think actually i wish i'd have given two days to this charity whereas i gave like five days to this thing that paid me loads but i didn't really feel good about doing right. it or something. that happens a lot too um, so but you've yeah. got to survive, though. So well, it's, exactly, it's, it's you always about. Feel bad. You should think, you know. It's balancing these things out, and definitely, like you have to compromise your principles sometimes. In you know, under capitalism, we're all we're all uh, just trying to get by. So, like, yeah, absolutely, no judgment for however yeah. people, uh, within reason, however people yeah. just Don't get rob through. Any banks. Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> we haven't robbed any banks. Definitely, we out. we have never robbed any banks. Yeah, okay, so what did you teach? I taught art and design. Right, so we're in an appropriate place. We are, yeah, we're in the Tate Modern. Because, so, um, you know, I thought that when you sort of were, were saying, oh, I've, I've forgotten who the artist is, I was like, oh, she knows about art, so she's thinking yeah. that, like, it's, it's, it's like, like, I don't know who the artist, first, the artist is here, um, but I don't, I don't expect myself to know, whereas you were like, you were like oh, sorry, I don't know. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's super flex, <laughs> but I really can't, because... Um, Oh, yeah. Weiwei was here with his right. sunflowers and, uh, um, what's his name, with the slides was here. So there have been a lot of really big names, but I don't think it's sponsored by Unilever anymore, which is maybe <laughs> which is why the names aren't so big. Yeah, that's nice. It's, it's, yeah, it's more ethical swinging on this swing, yeah. which, listeners, I should say, we are, we are literally having this conversation while swinging. We're not swinging maybe as high as, as, as the people who are recording a conversation, but, but it's, it's definitely a bit like being on a boat. It's amazing. We, it's a uh, Tuesday afternoon and it's probably about an hour before closing and there's just loads of people who are here and utilising the space, which is right. amazing. It's really lovely to see. Right, all ages as well yeah. and everyone's just like playing but also talking. There's a lot of talking going on, a lot of people just like... Because yeah. we're on a, a triple swing so you can sit you can have on three your people, own yeah. you can have with your friends. There's some people getting really high with some good swinging, right, that's which right. we're not going to do because no. that might be a bit dangerous. And, but, lis- uh, and listeners, you're in the you're in the middle seat between us. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so imagine you're swinging along in the middle seat. Um, so right, okay. So art, design, and then that explains why you're into photography and film. I guess that's the kind of that that narrative I was starting to tenuously uh, yeah, create I mean, seems I to so. hold true. I, um, I always studied art at school and enjoyed drawing and painting and mixed media and then uh, I did take a gap in between that but then at uni did fine art uh, and then took on photography then and yeah kind of ended up teaching art. I travelled for a bit and came back and it was like oh well maybe I need to decide what 
I need to do. So I did my teacher training in Wales, in Cardiff. Ah, okay. um, so I grew up in Cardiff for some of my, oh, did some you? Of my childhood. Yeah. yeah, so I lived... Uh, 13 to 18, I was there. Which school did you go to? I went to Cantonia. Oh, I don't know that one. So I did my teacher training at Pontypridd High School. Right. And uh, Lewis Girls in uh, just outside of Caerphilly. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I loved it. I really like Wales. I did my uh, BA in Aberystwyth. Yeah, I know. My brother went to Aberystwyth, so I know it quite well. A lot of my friends did too. It's the kind of place you go if you're from Wales. Yeah, Um, but also... In lots of ways. I'm not saying everyone there is from Wales, but a lot of Welsh people go to Aberystwyth. A lot of my my best friends now are all from... We we more made friends in Aberystwyth, so... It was just kind of that very small kind of community feel, but um, yeah, it's, and it's by the sea as well. It is. It's very relaxing, be, yeah. and watching the starlings go underneath the pier is yeah. very uh, lovely. But I, I really enjoyed my time in Wales, and I really enjoyed my teacher training. It was, um, it was eye-opening to say the least. That uh, particularly in uh, the valley schools, I didn't really teach in any of the Cardiff city schools, but um, oh, right, so yeah. Just basically, you have your one-to-ones with the teachers who were there with you, and they were like, you know, you're dealing with third-generation non-workers. Yeah. How do you get them to appreciate that actually what they're doing in art might be worth something, and they should, you know, want to achieve highly? I mean, it's not like I was working in math or English where it's like, if you don't achieve this, then what have you got? This is more of a if they're good at it and you want to encourage it how do you even encourage that or how do you even start yeah so it was I mean the valleys have a lot of challenges uh, which are not of their making no. in my view but you know there we go this is it if you're going to take away an entire industry uh, then you should probably put something in yeah, place yeah you need to replace it uh, yeah but <laughs> interestingly where I am now with Nesta um, they they're one of their branches is uh, Erlab which is ShareLab, and it's one of the things that they're trying to do to kind of rejuvenate innovation in Wales. So they are working uh, with the Welsh Government and doing various things to help bring communities back together a little right. bit more. Because they were such strong communities they, is one still, of the saddest things about it. They like, still are, but they're my dad worked, now. Is like, he did work for the docu- doing documentary filmmaking for the coal board, so he went to all the mining communities like when they were still communities when they were still like had all of the like the beautiful things although you know community is a complicated thing I also think it's a very stifling thing to have a, a singular community um, so I'm not suggesting it I don't want to don't want to suggest that we should see those mining communities through completely rose tinted glasses um, no. but at the same time they stood we for broke a lot some of stuff that's... and we didn't put anything for them to I think it was that thing a lot of things were taken away and nothing was put back and um, it's just really sad because it's just really sad I yeah, think is the right. thing with a lot of areas in Wales that everything they had their their work their ethics what they stood for the proudness I their think language was, to a certain well, extent just everything <laughs> went and yeah. what were they going to do it's yeah I mean, from that, I'm also a very big Manic Street Preachers fan, which right. is one well, of those things that you you do identify with basically where they were trying to come from right. and everything they're sort of saying now, even if they might be slightly older and less in touch with right. um, what's happening. Well, I, I grew up in Cardiff during the 90s, so like 
you know, you'd always see like one of the manics in town centre when you're like, that was like the thing, like, oh, I've seen one of the manics or like yeah, one of the stereophonics yeah. or like, like Cardiff was, uh, was pretty cool at that point, yeah. briefly. Uh, I guess it's still a bit cool with Doctor Who, but. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I loved Cardiff. I, it's a great city. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. lovely, great. I mean, obviously, we never went to like the city centre on a Saturday night, but, <laughs> you know, um, uh, Welsh Club and some of the other smaller the Welsh Club Goody is, Who. is uh, Club Evo Bach for yep. people who uh, don't know it by its nickname yeah <laughs> uh, you know Goody Who and just loads of little places and yeah. I saw lots of bands then when I was there each training but then the area I was was just uh, around Roth around the lake as well I know Roth yeah, yeah. I'm mainly still there it's a really lovely. It's a really lovely city. There's a load of parks in it as well. Yeah, I mean, it's like, very like green. London, there's loads of green places you can go in Cardiff. But, I mean, also you could go on the train or in the car, and you'd be at Penarth Pier, so you'd be by the sea. Yeah. So it had all these like really amazing spaces really close by. That's cool. I mean, so like, so it's it's nice that your new job sort of connects back to that experience that you had kind of there. So teaching is something you fell into and now you've fallen out of which is you know probably a, a good thing like a lot of my family are teachers uh my partner works in a, a school like a primary school she's a, a teaching assistant um so i see a lot of sides of, of the of that and there's some great stuff about being a teacher but there's also a lot of frustrating things and it, it's nothing's more frustrating than not being able to help people as well uh that's a frustrating thing i mean I would probably say it's the worst job I've ever had <laughs> and which is a shame because I really enjoy my teacher training and then the first job I got was a maternity cover which was fine I mean the kids were alright and the work was fine and the staff were okay and then after that I just ended up doing supply and supply is not very good and then the school I ended up in London was if you can think about the schools that you hear about you know it was basically riots in lessons and kids just like completely off the rails and when I started I mean there should have been a warning sign for me the teacher I took over said basically I never really thought that I would hate children but after working here like I do and she said they're vile (laughs) and they were they were horrible and the staff weren't much nicer either and sort of I was there supposedly on a, on a long-term contract, but it turns out that through various paperwork or whatever, that um, it, it wasn't going to happen. And I got the union in in the end. It wow. got that bad. And um, So everything about the job was bad. Yes, yeah. Like, that's, that's, that's tough. Yeah. That's really tough. Yeah. I mean, of course, like, you're getting those children by the time they've reached secondary school I mean I used to work with the under fives all across uh, the borough of Enfield and so I worked in poor communities and 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 rich communities and you know pretty much under fives all kids are great like pretty much there's occasional like there was there was the only child I thought oh god I don't know how this kid can get turned around Um, I was proved wrong by like and uh, three years later that child was a really great kid um, so Amazing to hear. yeah, but but I think by the time you get to secondary school, people are really t- tied in. And when I was at secondary school as well, I mean, 
you know, it was a, it's, a, it's kind of, they look like prisons. The, the, the design, the architecture of, of schools are, are like prisons. Uh, I had a terrible time at school. I was bullied because, you know, children are vile to each other uh, because they're made that way. But, like, that is how it works. And, um, you know, I remember back then in Cardiff, in Cantonian, where I was, you know, we had loads of... Uh, teachers got nervous breakdowns there was like not riots exactly but there were definitely scuffles and uh, like moments where teachers were not in teachers control. were really scared yeah. often in that school um, some of them were scary too um, and certainly some of the teachers involved were involved with bullying me and once a, a, a teacher physically uh, assaulted me I, I would say now then I would have just said you, you know he grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and, pu- and pushed me against the wall but now I, I recognise that that's a assault of a child and he was ahead of year so and like this is it. that's and it and it's like well <laughs> they got away with it and that's yeah and they and that's a, a, like, and that school probably wasn't like as much as Cantonian was for me pretty tough there were tougher schools in Cardiff than Cantonian and there are tougher yes. schools in London than the toughest schools in, in Cardiff I imagine although there's some lovely schools here too um, I mean, I thought that having been to, you know, South Wales and having done supply in Nottingham and Derby schools right. as well, that so challenging communities all exactly. around. Exactly, and you know, the thing with supply is that you've got to go in there and very quickly get them on your side. And apart from, and I quite enjoyed some of the Nottingham schools um, doing supply because, okay, they weren't the brightest or the best behaved, but if you actually sat down and spoke to them rather than shouting at them then they would be on your side right. and they they just actually valued someone listening to what they've got to say whereas at this school it was it was beyond that right well it sounds like it's it's become it's, it's at that point where it's like the whole culture is toxic all the way through I, and like when you're in that situation I don't know what you, you you can't do anything as an individual in that situation I mean the, the worst thing about that school was uh, senior management had they have had support for the rest of the staff then they might have been able to turn it around but basically their head teacher was an absolute prick and <laughs> he's not there anymore which is great but he was he was just horrible he wasn't very nice and he didn't have a teaching background I think he'd come from kind of a business background but right. You know, he would demean subjects in assembly when giving out rewards to people. Fuck's sake. He was just, yeah, it was a horrible, horrible school. And if you were doing art, that was probably this one of the it, ones yeah. that was demeaned. Yeah, this is it. Right? He'd be like, oh, this person here, basically, what it was is Sainsbury's, this is quite a funny story, basically Sainsbury's were having some works done and they invited local schools to design some posters that would go up around the building works and the the kids designed them and they won even though ironically because of the uniform they weren't actually allowed into Sainsbury's because they'd been banned for bad behavior and stealing <laughs> and basically they got presented and sort of the head teacher was up there was like oh well you know it's it's for art but I don't really know what that means or if it's you know it's particularly worth any blah 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 and these poor fucking kids who basically Every time they went past this big Sainsbury's, their artwork was on the wall so they could just show mum, dad, brother, sisters, friends. They're like, right. I did that. We their, head te- yeah. their head teacher's like, oh, it's art. It doesn't really mean anything. Ugh. And it was just like, you absolute arsehole. It's like, what, well, what, that's is, it. the, what is the point? You just think, you know... I mean, I can, I can, I can empathise with your, your colleague who kind of had got to the point where they felt like 
you know, they never thought they would hate children, but now they do. But like ultimately, the problem that those kids have got is it's it's adults who are responsible for the circumstances they're in, like their primary school in, like the schools, the, the adults involved there, their parents, obviously. Um, and then they get to secondary school, and if the if the if the if the head of the school doesn't even support them when they do something that makes the school look good and like it's in the school's best interest to support them in that, yeah, it is horrible. I can. I, I mean, mean, it gets much wor- it gets much worse than that. I was told by my mentor, a particular child, if you rang their parents, they would beat them, and therefore, if you wanted to get through to that child in Fuck. lesson, then this would be the best route uh, yeah and and you're like well what do I do this kid has been an absolute arsehole and they're like ring the parents it wasn't the only I rang all of the parents and I spent an hour an hour and a half after my school day ringing 35 children's Jeez. parents to say your child is not behaving in the lesson they are not ex- they're not fulfilling the standards that are meant to be and that's after, and I've given them detention and they did not show up and I've given them this thing, whatever it was. And I would go to my mentor, the person who would be training me and say what to do. And they said, you just need to deal with it. And that's, that's basically what I was told to do. I mean, if you're... In like, my training year yeah. of teaching was, you just need to deal with it. If you're listening to this and you're thinking of becoming a teacher... Um, <clears throat> there are there are different experiences of teaching definitely out there. But don't but do I also it. think it's I also think it's worth being aware that this is the kind I, of situation think, you can find yourself in. If I you're think a if you are doing this <clears throat> and you ever find yourself in a school, I don't think you would even. I think you should learn to see the warning signs and maybe right. if you are in that situation, then you need to speak to your union straight away and right. point it out. Because and at least and definitely be, join a union. If you're, yeah, if oh you're, God, yeah. Do not you know, join teaching sure you... without being in a union because yeah. um, they help me get out of my contract, if that's anything. Right. I mean, that's, that is something. Yeah. I mean... I mean, they, they also said that in terms of my situation, which apart from like all of that I mean I didn't tell them that because that was quite a lot but um, the, they basically said to the school if anything like this happens again then that would be it so it's it's been flagged with them so I mean as far as I know the school is still open they escaped special measures a few times God knows how they did that I really don't know but you know they unfortunately they've got to stay open because if they don't stay open where will those children go right. and Every child deserves an education and every child deserves a chance to prove that they can learn and that they should be given the chance to learn. So right. it's the, the problem, if, if you ever go into teaching, is that ultimately you want to do it because you know something about a subject or lots of subjects or you want people to learn. And if you're in a situation where you're in a classroom and all 35 of those people you really want to help are not into it, then... There's only so long you can take before you think right. it's really not worth my time. Right. And the thing is, you're not, and, and also you haven't got full leeway to try and engage those kids anyway because I mean, you've is, got to do it within a framework that you're given, which may not be right for those kids. Well, I mean, <laughs> I have to say that there is zero creativity in the art and design curriculum. <laughs> right. Which uh. is another thing. I did lots of um, experimental drawing when I did my teacher training. 
um, and getting kids to basically throw away the idea of that is if, if they weren't exactly copying what they were drawing, then it wasn't bad. And there's, I did quite a lot of research into basically when children draw, you you will have like the stage from from about I don't know when you start drawing till about five or six where you'll just be really happy with scribbles and then you become a bit more self-aware and then by the time you reach secondary school it becomes really really self-aware and if what you're drawing doesn't match what you're seeing it becomes a very very frustrating experience whereas I was taking it back to a more kind of abstract and looking at more about drawing processes and basically my mentor then said you know this is this is all lovely this is really fantastic I feel that you know they're they're really learning and exploring how are you going to grade it? Yep. And that was it. And it was like, well, I haven't really thought about that. Yeah. I thought, well, they're having a nice time. It's right. like, well, you can't, you, you can't really do that. I mean, so I, all yeah. these things that I was trying to do to try and break the, I don't know, just trying to give them something a little bit more exciting and just not go, oh, we're doing art, we're just going to sit and copy something. We're going to actually, you know, I did lessons where they'd turn up and all the, all the tables were moved out. And they'd be like, what's going on? What's, going, what's happening? And we'd stand up and draw in the lesson. And they were just, like, really engaged throughout the whole lesson. You know, there was no behavioural problems. Everyone had something to say at the end. And it was like, that's great, but how do you assess that? Right. I mean, that's, like, I, I, at uni, I, I studied uh, theatre studies and creative writing, but this is from the theatre studies part. Uh, I did a, a module in radical theatre and we did a, a theatre in education uh, project and I was inspired uh, to be interested in theatre by a theatre in education project so uh, I definitely wanted to, to do that and we went into this, this school and we were doing like lots of uh, theatre education work to, to help kids to kind of like imagine what it was like to be in the Victorian times rather than kind of just learn the history it was about uh, imagining themselves into those experiences and like one of the things when we were doing that project we 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 dis- we I we decided that what we wanted to do was to show that we were uh provoking a tra- change in understanding in the children right um and again yeah like our project ended up being about how how do you how do you monitor that how do you mark that and then finally you know we made the argument you can't it's impossible and we could do that because it was a radical theatre course and we could get actually that's the only time I got a first was for that uh, course but like we, we can get a first for that but you can't get a first for that if you're a teacher because no. you go I want to provoke a change in understanding but I can't prove that I've done it they go well that's a waste of your time yeah. so, so <laughs> how many children got level C or A or B or whatever they call it now and you're like well that's not the point right. everyone carried out the lesson Everyone gave a comment whether they felt, you know, it was good or bad or how they felt. That should be it. It's art, the way art's taught in, this, in, in England, well, in most Western, is it's completely wrong. It should be all about, today we're going to learn about how to use clay and maybe have like five or six lessons about using clay. We're going to use pencil crayon. It's, and it should be that you, and obviously with, our, with the children that, dip in and out who were so infrequent with their attendance in school if you've got a project that starts with this then then you do that and then you do this if they miss the middle out then they're fucked basically right. because they don't have the learning to carry it out and their end product is going to be not even there right. it's just 
I mean, there's, there's, there's just so many flaws to it, really, because it's like everyone learns in different ways. Exactly. Like, I'm super lucky. I can go into an exam and I'm really good at them. But I know people who are much cleverer than me who fall really apart struggle, in, yeah. in exams. Whereas, you know, like, you know, like that. And that's just luck. Like, it, it, like I know for a fact that I have not retained the information for most of the things that I've done very well in. Like, it's, it's absurd the way it works. But yeah, so like, so you've moved away from that. But you're, and one of the things you're doing at the moment as well is, is you're podcasting yeah. and you're podcasting about film. I mean, when did film come into your life? So, um, I mean, I guess I've got to blame my dad for that. I mean, I remember from being very, very, very young and having kind of cinema experiences and also lots of VHS, basically on a Saturday afternoon, uh, my dad would go to the pub with me and my brother and on the way home we would call in at the local video shop and we'd both be, me and my brother would pick a video, which I think we both chose the same one every week, which would be kind of like a cartoon mashup, but my dad would also pick them and these would be um, like Terminator, Beverly Hills Cop, Lethal Weapon. And then we would watch them with him. Right. <laughs> Despite being maybe 10 or 11. I mean, those, <laughs> those days. Those films do seem like they yeah. are. Uh, I mean, they're fine. Fine I for mean, children, I think. They weren't particularly violent. I mean, obviously, they had swearing in, mild yeah. nudity, that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, my dad's a very, very big film fan and just kind of always had like Empire. Fangoria and various like weird sci-fi magazines delivered through the post <laughs> which would land on the doorstep yeah. um, I remember the Total Recall episode with the basically you've seen a Total Recall with the eye, eyeballs popping out and that was the cover of Fangoria which is a bit like <laughs> <sighs> yeah I mean Total Recall I think is quite intense for a child yeah <laughs> so I, that, I think that is where films came from and uh, I think I vaguely remember going to see Bambi. I think it must have been a reissue or something. Right. And then yeah, I think I, I think I remember it was reissued. Yeah. Around in the eighties, and also yeah. I remember one year my poor mum trying to take me, my brother, one of my friends Holly, maybe one of her sisters, and our friend James to see My Girl, and basically being in the queue to the cinema and not getting in. And just be like, what can we see instead? And we went to see Father the Bride. Wow. Which we thought was hilarious <laughs> at the time. So that would have been about 1990, 91. Right. And, um, yeah, I remember that cinema because there used to be a smoking side and a non-smoking side <laughs> to that. Yeah. I mean... Back in the day. I know, like, so some people listening are going to be like, videos? Videos, Smoking, yeah, smoking in cinemas? cinemas? yeah. I mean, this is pre-Blockbuster as well. <laughs> so, yeah, I've always... Film has always been something that's been around me. And then when I started looking at uni, I was like, oh, I like film. I want to go and study it. And I did... It was mainly film theory, but there was a couple of practical models. But I, I really liked the film theory and did um, a lot into... Uh, audience reception studies which is really good we kind of looked at um, horror films in that uh, genre studies which happen to be on the horror genre as well but just really interesting about films when what you're watching is not necessarily the story that they're telling you and it's kind of got the subtext which I thought was really 
things happen off screen or yeah, like, you or, know, around, or there's a, yeah like starship troopers like what's the real meaning about that and well um, yeah you can have very long arguments about that one. a big field day <laughs> about that so yeah and it was just really nice to be in an environment where there was you know lots of people who'd seen different films and had different ideas and things like that and I used to usher at the art centre art centre cinema so basically if you gave up your evening you'd get to go and see a free film for uh. free so I signed up for all those so from 2002 to 2005 I basically saw all of the films <laughs> yeah well my dad like as, as I said was a documentary filmmaker so he had a, a cinema veterans card so when I was doing film studies uh, at uh, A-level uh, I kind of managed to convince the school to let me go to the cinema with my dad instead of do PE. Oh, that was good. Um, <laughs> and like, so I, um, but his card can get him and somebody else in for free. So uh, I've already always had an unfair privilege in terms of managing to see films uh, without very, you know, without having to spend any money. It's interesting as well. Like I was doing some uh, well research uh, uh, before uh, speaking to you. Like I looked at like what it says in the about you bit oh, yeah, on, on Flixwatcher, <laughs> really and I looked funny, on Twitter, <laughs> and, I, and as well. And uh, one of the things I noticed is that, like uh, we have quite similar opinions. Well, not always, I think probably about films, but like you're like Terminator Two is better than Terminator One, yeah. which is you know obviously that is the case. Aliens is the best alien film, yep. and like yes, obviously that is the case. You like. Wes Anderson films I like Wes Anderson films you like Noah Baumbach who I can sometimes like and sometimes not he's a bit hit and miss I mean basically Francis Ha is amazing I think the the films that he does with Greta Gerwig are much better and um, the Mayrick stories which we have reviewed is fine but it's on ground he's already done before The Squid and the Whale is great Um, and I, I did quite like while we were young but Anything he does with Miss America is brilliant. So Francis Hara and Miss America are his two like brilliant pieces because they're they're just she is a great presence and just gives it that warmth. Right. That she's I got think, a, she's got a film coming out. She has yeah, Ladybird, which yeah. I really I really want to see, which has kind of made the headlines for being like the most fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. But, um, it does it, sound good. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like, great. Well, I've um, heard of it. But indie films is, is like indie sensibility. Definitely, kind yeah. Of slightly mumblecore. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's a bit oddball. of a derogatory term it these is. days. <laughs> yeah, but, but like, yeah, indie sensibility. Yeah. And I get that. Like, I, I like that's one of the flavors I like. But I, what I like about like having done this, like looking at what you what you're into in terms of film is, yeah, you like indie films, but you also like Terminator. That's I how do, I yeah. feel. That's that's kind of a, a good place to be. I think the one thing you don't seem to like though in terms of films is Adam Sandler. I don't know. And I don't like Adam Sandler sometimes, but I, and I hate a lot of his films. And I think I probably hate him as a person or dislike him as a person. I don't know if I like to hate anyone. But at the same time, he has made some good films, I think. Like, he's made... I, like, mean, the, like punch, I think we're going to say Punch Drunk punch Love, Drunk Love which is a great I haven't film. seen for a while, but I didn't hate it, but it's not my favourite Paul Thomas Anderson anyway. Uh, sure. It's, well, I mean, how can you... Like, Paul Thomas Anderson I haven't seen it has such an amazing level of filmmaking yeah. anyway. That, I like, saw that when it came out, and I haven't seen it since. Just also, it's, it's not really available to see. Right. Um, I mean, I, I like The Wedding Singer. I was going to say, kinda the, the Wedding Singer's good. I mean, I'm not like a, I, I don't support 
him as a as a person or an artist. But like a lot of his films seem like they're just made for misogyny, cultural appropriation, and destruction of of anybody that, that is not Adam Sandler. Uh, like I, I did not see his terrible one about Israel, but like I do not want to see his terrible one about Israel. Yeah, um, I mean, the more wh- you keep saying, the more I think no. I when did this hatred or like dislike of Adam Sandler? Because he was you, you won't review. You, so the, we've <laughs> mentioned the Mayowitz. Mayo, I can't pronounce that name. Yeah, Mayowitz. Which uh, we have Chronicles, done. Right? Yeah, and he's in that. He is. Yeah, that is by your favorite. Yeah, one of your favorite yeah, films. He's, I mean, he's actually he's fine in it. He's great in it. He plays kind of a downtrodden guy who is struggling with life and he's got a, a physical affliction and he plays it really well and he he suits that but it's not wacky and it's not kind of weird right. and he doesn't play like two people in the film right. and <laughs> that's fine because yeah because you li- literally flicks li- watch it apart from that has got an embargo on Adam Sandler films it's right? a, I mean it's one of those things it's a little cheap. bit of a running joke yeah. but also it's other than like the wedding singer I can't think of a film that he's been in that I like or would want to watch no. I think maybe it more kind of embodies that era of filmmaking or that particular style right. kind of the, the Pratt humour and the just kind of the egotistical I think right. nature of it I mean I'm not a massive fan of Jim Carrey either I was but, thinking Jim Carrey when you were saying that but I do like The Truman Show and I do like uh, Eternal and I really I found I don't really enjoy it I found Jim and Andy really interesting I haven't seen it yet I've seen like because the film that he, uh, the I film mean, he Man made on the Moon Man is average good. I think it's it, it's, it's alright it depends how much you feel it depends how much you know Andy Kaufman and right it might be one of those yeah but Jim and Andy is very interesting and I mean Jim Carrey is nuts I mean there's one bit in it where he kind of he tells a story about his Ten million dollars, however it was, and he envisioned this ten million dollar check that he was going to have. So he wrote himself this ten million dollar check, and then lo and behold, two years later, he got ten million dollars for like the mask or something. And it's you just like now. Do you believe him? I mean, do you believe him that that happened, or do you believe him that he believed that that would happen, and then that happened, or? Do you not believe anything? It's. I mean, it's complicated, isn't it? Like, I think Jim Carrey, for example, right? Like Adam Sandler and, and, and Jim Carrey are kind of good examples. I think they've both got an energy that, if it's used well, can be really good. But the problem is that they were that they make they, they were making films at a time when people were just like, yeah, do everything, yeah, do all of those. Like, and it's like this kind of like untamed energy, manic energy of men, where they get to like say whatever they Run want and, and like throw out so many things that it doesn't matter that 10 of them hurt different communities that like you know watch it I mean you know I, I don't remember really loving Ace Ventura but having kind of read people uh, looking at it uh, as an adult like having read how people responded to that film like you know it's, it's almost a hate crime that film like, I'm, so it's, I'm, it's, 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 it's I'm not I mean, I'm, I must have seen it, but I can't remember it. But one of the things of Jim Carrey in the documentary was when he was making Eternal Sunshine, he spoke to Michelle Gondry, and he was sort of like, you look really sad. It's like, okay. stick with that. And basically, he was just like, you know, I kind of had to stay with that. And it's funny, because the performances that both Sandler and Jim Carrey have produced that I enjoy the most are the ones where 
they're pretty tormented yeah. and they're yeah. quite yeah. sad and they really explains that energy in a, in a way and it's quite interesting to hear uh, Jim Carrey's background about you know because obviously he's Canadian how he became like a comic and what he was doing and all the different things he did and it goes back to a performance he had where he pretended to be drunk on screen and um, God, I can't remember what he said but anyway he uh, uses a racist slur towards the presenter at the time and no one knows how to react to live TV and it's it's done as a complete performance but it's just it's completely nuts and obviously if anyone did that now then well they wouldn't because you just wouldn't do that but. no I mean there is definitely kind of a reckoning within comedy which is, you know, it's, it's, what it's, you can get away it's with good. I'm glad it's happening in some ways. Like, you know, I think there was a, a trend to push every boundary that was possible. And I also understand the, that, that impulse as artists or as people to kind of explore the boundaries of what's uh, possible and what's uh, tasteful. But uh, things, I think, have gone too far. And it's, it's interesting and good, I think, that they're going back the other way. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. So, like, so, okay, so, so, obviously, we've we've talked about Adam Sandler, who you don't like, and we've talked a lot, weirdly, about Jim Carrey, who you you thought was okay, you think is okay. Right, right. I mean, what, like, what, what would you say, like, if I, what's the stuff that you didn't put into your like about me section? Like, what's the, what what are the films that you love that have been important to you? Um, uh, I mean, there's so many, isn't there? Um, <laughs> That's right. It's, it's one of those really hard things that, um, I guess because it's in the forefront of my mind, um, Dancer in the Dark right. is um, a film that I saw when it came out because at the time I was working in the music shop and one of the people that I worked with is was and still is a very, very good friend to me, Marie, was the biggest Bjork fan in the world. And the soundtrack came out like a week or two before the film and we listened to it and even she was like oh this is a bit weird uh, a bit crazy and we went to see it at the cinema obviously being very excited and not really knowing what it was about wow. and yeah. um, uh, I mean regardless of what's been going on in the press between Bjork and Lars von Trier yeah. it's, it's a remarkable film uh, I've seen it three times and the last time I saw it was about 2004 and um, it's it's quite a remarkable endurance process but it also is extremely beautiful so I think what I quite like about films is the films where they are uh, I guess maybe uncomfortable horrific but have moments of really beauty in them yeah, as well yeah, yeah, yeah. which really questions sort of how you feel about things I mean it is a horrific story but the songs in it are beautiful and her perform in all, all the performances in it is fantastic I love that film. I mean I remember seeing I mean yeah it's complicated even more complicated now with as you say the stuff that goes on between Lars von Trier and he's a complicated guy anyway because like, I mean it's same again Breaking the Waves right, is that's a, ta- a fantastic well I don't film. know I don't like that film but I understand that it's a well made film but there's something at the heart of it that I find unpleasant which is probably called it's Lars per- von Trier yeah um, whereas I love, I do love 
uh, Dancing in the Dark. But, and I also love like uh, Dogville. Like I love a lot of. So he's a complicated director who you know I'm happy to say uh, whatever complexity and brilliance he's got uh, shouldn't protect him from no. anything. Um, whatever. Like I don't. There's it's nothing specifically. It's uncomfortable when you think about him and his films. Yeah. Anyway, to to get those kind of performances, then obviously it's all not going to be. Sweetness and rainbows no. on set. It's going well, to be uncomfortable. And well, there's something I've been recently thinking about um, in terms of the the method or like that kind of uh, develop like process of like getting performances that is a little bit like it's almost built to be unconsensual. And like that's something I've been thinking about with a lot of the things being being said about uh, Dustin Hoffman and you know the things that came out around uh, with uh, oh god. Well, also, I mean, I I think Blue is the warmest color is one of the most like amazing experiences. But obviously, hearing about the two actors' right. experiences about right, it on right, set right. is very uncomfortable, and I think that's really sad because right. what they produced is a fascinating piece of work. And then if you think about that, you know, if they were not comfortable about it on, at the time, and it's kind of sad that they only feel comfortable of saying it now and it's, right. it's got to that point. I mean, and a similar thing, you know, with Marlon Brando, like, oh, you know, I mean, well. I haven't seen that, but it's just... I, I have seen that film and I didn't like it, um, but now I, I feel like even worse for having seen it. <laughs> it was with that it was almost as if like oh this is the time this is what we need to get right. so we'll just do it at any expense to, you know expense to give it that authenticity or that that realness which they got right. but you know that poor actress she never worked again right. and it was just it's it's disgusting it's horrible and terrible and that's an interesting thing as someone who like, I used to call myself a method writer and like I, I am attracted in some ways to the concept of the method but like having thought about that like this idea of like I don't know you can take these things far too far and you can like forget that there's other human beings involved and I think what you choose to do as a performer to yourself is very different from what someone might choose to do as a director to their performers like there's a different responsibility in those situations you need to make them aware that we're putting you for hell for this reason not just because like I'm an absolute arsehole right which well, some of the things about like Dustin Hoffman that I read about, like him uh, when he was making Kramer versus Kramer, like uh, s- slapping his uh, the actor who was playing his wife uh, around the face, like off take, like to to make her angry with him, but un- without telling her that she was gonna he was gonna do that. Like that's that's, that's un- not that's unprovoked not physical violence. Exactly, it's not acceptable, and like it's interesting, and like Jared Jared Leto as well with his Joker uh, method. Uh, yeah, pulling is, pranks on yeah, people it's, and it's, just creeping not, them out. Exactly, that's not method. Uh, and, uh, and the lovely Russell Crowe, right? <laughs> who recently I don't know if you heard that. I haven't heard this one. He he made a joke about accidentally sodomizing a female actress during Romper Stomper. Oh my god! <laughs> I mean, it's just. The fact that it happened is bad enough, but why bring it up now and why try to make it out as a joke? Right. It's, just, it's, it's one of those things that's like, maybe yeah. if I don't make a joke of it, someone's going to like fish me out and I'm going to have to deal with it. But well, I mean, I mean, I've spoken about him before. That's interesting. I mean, like, that's, I, I, didn't, I hadn't added him to my list, I mean, of p- bad people, but fair enough. I mean... I mean, I knew it was, I, I knew I had problems with him as an individual. I, d- I knew I didn't want to go for a drink with him. Yeah. But this is the thing. But it's interesting, like, I guess, making a film podcast, 
loving film well, in this moment, right? It is a moment. Like, I'm surprised we haven't come to it sooner because obviously Woody Allen right. is a filmmaker that... The classic indie maker, right? Well, this indie is films. it. And Influenced all of those filmmakers exactly, we've been talking about. that we about. like now. And I mean, I hate Woody Allen, so that's always been... Like, but that's, well, you're kind of like, you've cleared yourself yeah, of but it, any... But, but that's the thing, like, that in itself shouldn't be... Like, I know. Like, like, I, it, like, it's like people who say... Oh, like, and I, I also didn't like Jimmy Savile, but like when I hear people go, oh, I hated Jimmy Savile, so I, I'm not surprised. It's like, well, who cares if you're surprised yeah. or not? It doesn't matter. So I, I accept it's, it's... You know, I'm not absolving myself. I like, I like people who've done terrible things. I like, I like Lars von Trier. As I've it's said, terrible. I like him as a filmmaker, um, but, I, but I hate that, you know, what things he may have or may not have done, allegedly or not. But Woody Allen, like... It's, it's one of those ones that um, I think the question is now, why are they still protecting him? Right. Everyone's just like, seriously? Yeah. Like, how... And Kate Winslet, like all of them, like, like people I admire, people I respect, defending Woody you, Allen all I over mean, the shop. I think there's been a few. I think Ellen Page went back and said, I regret to work with him, and a couple of people have sort of said they've, they've refused, but... Yeah, there was a guy who, d- who wrote a really great thread about, like, uh, the guy from The Tick, I can't remember his oh, name, okay. but he wrote about, about working for Woody Allen, how he wouldn't do it again, how, and how, he, you know, he was t- t- tossing up whether he should do it at the time and all of these different concerns, and he wished he hadn't. I mean, if you look at it from a film fan's point of view, he's not made a decent film <laughs> since Midnight in Paris anyway. Yeah, but, I mean, that's almost, like by the by isn't it the, the thing is whether his films are good or bad is immaterial why is he why is why no is justice being pla- why, why brought for the people who's mistreated it's just it's one of those ones where everyone immediately when Weinstein came out they went right that's it and they pulled the plug on this and the same with Kevin Spacey they pulled the plug on that and yet right Ke- uh, Woody Allen's like well you know this isn't the first and it's still been brought up and yet he's still allowed to make he's just going on right. exactly as normal I mean, and Polanski's I mean, terrible well, but I Polanski mean, he's escaped has justice. yeah has been they have tried to prosecute and him. he's I mean he has he has gone out of his way to I mean he can't return to America no but even so it, they still celebrate him though but they do. He won an Oscar exactly. for The Pianist, which is a terrible film, but also that <laughs> they still judge that. It, I mean, if yeah. we're going into it, Mel Gibson, Absolutely. Casey Affleck. What's going on it's with Mel Gibson? Like, I don't understand it. Like, he's suddenly he's in a, like a family-friendly yeah. comedy and he's on Graham Norton yeah. and nobody's saying, nobody's saying to him. Everyone's sitting there going, what the fuck are you doing here, man? Because you basically beat your partner up and you are racist and you're yeah. very aggressive. And uh, did you apologize? Because we're not quite sure. I mean, you kind of said something that could have been an apology if you really meant it. But basically, you just said it so that you could be let back in. I mean, he's got power. Like, if he wanted to really atone, and I, you know, don't get me wrong, there are some Mel Gibson films I love. But like that. But if he wanted to atone for the actions that he has has done, which are impossible to defend, um, but if he wanted to atone for them, he could do some stuff like uh, like helping like to like get films made for people of color or like like act actively atone give, like give money or, or he could like, play racists yeah, in films about how bad yeah, racism is he, I mean, like he whatever could do like he could do other loads than of just things. Pretend that it never happened. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and you know and you know. I mean, since we are going there, I mean, I guess Johnny Depp is also... I mean, I will not be going to the cinema any time soon to see a Johnny Depp film. Right. And there's just, just 
I mean, to be honest, he slipped massively in his performance and he just I look at him now and just think oh you're just like a sleazy wife beater drunk which I mean you know he might not be any of those things but it's just it's it's very cloak and daggers and I follow the pool quite closely I really like their writing and they've had the Amber Heard Johnny Depp thing and they're one of their big thing was about like why is the wild boy kind of thing alluring and allowed in the case of Johnny Depp where actually it's really really dangerous because it allows people to get away with things while they're under this persona of being like the wild boy the right. rock and roll boy right right where actually tortured artist yeah but no one should be allowed to be able to beat their partner Absolutely. because they're they're drunk or they're you know they're in their dark stages and by accepting that persona and by celebrating it, it's creating a very dangerous environment for women. Right, absolutely. Like, that's the thing, rewarding... That behaviour or like, that persona. And we, we, and we get to choose what we watch as well. I mean, that's the thing. Like, this year, it's partly because of the revolution in, in kind of TV anyway. There's been so many films or TV series that I've watched that have been made by women or by people of colour, and they've been brilliant. And they've been different because they haven't been. These are stories that haven't been told like ever before. Because for some reason, for our whole of history, we have just not been giving the mic to a load of people. So if you want the most exciting art, then you're, it's also in your best interests to not go. You know, keep giving these men who are abusive your money. And I, I totally support that. And I, 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 I am basically not not going to see the films of these people either. No. I mean, I think the. What is problematic from that is obviously J.K. Rowling's response to, (laughs) which... Well, J.K. (laughs) Rowling has got a history of of problematic responses and also uh, good behaviours as well. Like, she gives a lot of tax and she supported the good immigrants. I think a lot lot of of women felt let down by her basically saying we have secured this big fucking name for my film and it's going to make shitloads of money and at the time... When we signed the contracts, probably none of this was the massive thing and we were happy to have him. Now I'm thinking, fuck, what am I going to say? Am I going to kick him off and have to deal with all the lawsuits and money it's going to cost me? Or am I just going to say, we're happy to have him, that's what I feel. Right. And it's just like, well... Well, she's, she's almost... I mean, she suggested that I mean, she also, knows stuff that means that she knows he's innocent. Also, ultimately, like, it's her work, but she is not the, she's not the studio, she's not the director, and she's not the producer. Right. So how, you but know, the, she may have But the director himself has been worse. Like, the director has been worse in terms of defending Donnie Depp. I mean, he's obviously going, I don't really give a shit. I'm going to make this film, and he's in it, and that's... I mean, I don't know. It might just also be that... It could, I mean, Johnny Depp is charismatic and the problem that people have is that they can't separate the char- charisma uh, from from like the, people don't think bad things can be done by charismatic people I mean, and they often also, are because charisma helps you to do bad well, this things this is it and also if you were to look at if you do the math so basically if you were to do the math on right. all of the Johnny Depp films made in like the last three years and basically go how much they cost how much he was paid and how much they made on the box office you would go maybe we should look for someone else because his returns have been absolutely shocking for anyone right and well yeah on a purely artistic basis like yeah, Pirates like, of the Car- Caribbean was oh. a big terrible thing that became more and more terrible 
and in lots of ways he's basically a oh Charlie and the Chocolate Factory that was I mean, one of the worst the films is, I've ever seen if you if you say like oh like what Johnny Depp films do you like they'll go oh like Ed- Edward Scissorhands uh, Ian uh, uh, Gilbert Grave yeah those kind of ones like, although I don't films, like that on like, I haven't seen that in a re-watch, re-watch but I imagine it's probably like Oh, the, not quite right. The mother's very problematic on rewatch. If, she's, if you remember, she's t- she's uh, she's. Uh, well, they have to lift her out with a crane. Exactly at the end. right, yeah. and so it's she's she's deemed as of. a lot of the root of all of the problems. I right. think I remember it. Right, which is not great. Right, exactly. I mean, but you know, yeah, the, this is early work that people like. Yeah, yeah, really. But even so, his early work. I, I don't know. I mean, it's complicated. I do believe in redemption. I do believe that certainly with with uh, rape culture, it is all the way through culture. It's inside all of us, like whether we've raped people or not. Um, and so it's 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 a complicated social structural thing that we need to kind of address as well as individuals. And I don't believe in prisons, so like that's a, that's a complicated one for me. Like with I do believe in justice for victims and survivors, but I don't believe in prisons, so that's a complicated one. I think it's ad- admittance, especially in the Hollywood sphere and publicly, is to go actually and say, give an actual apology. Right. Is, you know well, is the start and then at least people can go you know at least you've actually admitted it yeah. rather than doing a Kevin Spacey right. as which is what it will right, become right, to right. which is I mean Kevin Spacey was was, uh, yeah that's unforgivable what he tried to do like throw, throwing uh, I'm, I'm basically going to shift all of my guilt yeah, exactly. as to be oh I was gay so yeah that makes it okay right and it's like Fucking hell, man! You're you're a gay person who is a prominent figure in Hollywood. Have you? Does not any of your experience know how hard it is to be a well, gay person well, anywhere? I mean, he didn't come out for years because he did know that, and also exactly. he knew that he would make more money from being an ambiguous kind of. Some people would know he was gay, and some people wouldn't, so he could play to both audiences. I so mean, the only people who really knew were the poor people who were pressured into situations indeed. that they didn't want to be in. Right, and, and, it's I, just I, and there have been so many. I mean, I have heard rumours now, not at the time, but I have heard rumours from people in the know in the UK theatre scene since yeah. that came out. Like there are, but this is the thing. Like I don't know where we get. Like I, like I think it's great that this is happening. I think it is very good. Like I hope that things. Will, will develop from it and I have no qualms about people losing their jobs losing money all of that stuff is good and yet at the same time like the, the problem is that, that, that it feels at the moment like people are just going to be allowed to come back quite quickly even even like we think they won't at this moment but like we're still not holding Mel Gibson to account no. like, that's the thing it's, like, it's I mean, some people will, and like I will not go and see another film of his, and I will not give him the time. But what about if someone picks it for flicks watching? I mean, <laughs> Asking the it? tough questions yeah, here. I mean, I guess <laughs> it would depend what film it is. I guess if you didn't watch it, then you wouldn't be able to address that topic no. as well. Like if you watch it and then say this is like that's the thing like that's it's, how people don't find out about things because people don't say it's tricky isn't it I mean it's complicated luckily he doesn't really have that much many films on <laughs> Netflix so but it would be interesting because if you know I've seen a lot of Mel Gibson films and you know then 
It is tricky. I mean, the same with Woody Allen as a Woody Allen fan. How do you go back and go, actually, I quite enjoyed this film. I mean, Addie, Annie Hall is a delight to watch and is brilliant. But in no point in that film does he have a really creepy relationship with anyone who is completely under age. You know, yeah. that was about his time with Diane Keaton. So I don't know, Mel Gibson, we'll see. Right. I, I mean, I'm not going to go... I mean, the other thing is, Casey Affleck is a big problem for me because... Obviously, he he won he won the big Oscar, and you know right. he makes art house indie films, which right, I again. obviously love. But um, he has obviously settled I think it's three lawsuits for yeah, I think uh, that's right. for sexual behaviour on set. The protests in Hollywood, I've really admired. You know, he's he when he won his awards for was it by the sea or whatever it was. Yeah, a lot of women were not were not impressed, and they they made it. But at the same time, the actor or director, this is going to be really bad now, for a film, I can't remember what it was, but he basically, he was accused and it got brought to light and he got his nomination stripped. Anyway, it was, it was basically, he's black, Casey Affleck's white, and um, they didn't get the same treatment. Right. Was the, well, that's the often outcome. the case. I mean, the, the, the thing is, if you're an indie film fan... There's loads of indie films by women. There's loads of in- I mean, Moonlight is brilliant, I think, yeah. and that's like an in- that's definitely an indie film in the sensibility as well. It's not just that it was cheap money. The it's it's an art house film. I mean, it's basically a film where not really much happens. Yeah, it's right. It's that's just, what yeah. that's what it means. But it it's beautiful and yeah. moving, and it's well acted, and it completely takes you away to that moment, yeah. and you're absorbed in. In it's you know it's a good two hour film, whereas you look at something like La La Land, which is... Right. I don't really remember much about that. I, ha- I haven't seen it because I, cause so many people who saw uh, it, uh, I mean, who I know, were like, eh, I nah. mean, it's, it's all right. Yeah. I mean, if, if it's on and you want to see it, then see it. I'm not going to say don't go out and see it, because you need to make your own mind up, but I don't think your life is going to be made any better by seeing it. <laughs> and it's certainly... I think with, by the time we got to the UK, we were so like, it's got to be really fucking good to like make our to lives better. To justify all of this. And it was just like, yeah. no. To be honest, we'd rather see something that's not great but real. Right. I think was I think the thing. Yeah, we but were yeah. like, this is all fake and shit. And like, it doesn't even have songs all the way through it. We're like, <laughs> it's, it's not even a musical. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I knew a lot of people who were, like, underwhelmed, but that can happen with films because you get the everybody talking them up yeah. and then that kind of gets a backlash and sometimes it's quite hard to decide what you actually think yourself because you've got all of the, the voices of all the critics in your head. I don't think it was mine. that. I just That's think that genuinely <laughs> UK audiences were not, didn't buy into didn't it. Didn't get into it. We, 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 we don't live in the shadow of LA and we don't have, like... The fantastical. Oh, if we make it for Hollywood, then we'll be all right. <laughs> Which is a bit like general for for Americans, but I don't think we really, I think we really bought into it as much as American audiences maybe did. Right. So, I mean, so it's been a real pleasure getting better acquainted with you, like sitting here on this swing. We've we 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 have decreased our swinging as the as we the have, yeah. as the as well. It's quite it made hard sense. work, isn't it? It was. The, it is I'm hard work. Have, like, leg ache or something. Yeah, me too. I think my back ache. <laughs> So yeah, don't probably don't sit on the swings at the Tate Modern for quite as long as we have. No, maybe um, try them out, different ones. But like, yeah, the last question that I ask everybody is, do you have anything to plug? 
Do I have anything plugged? Well, of course. Um, obviously, Flix Watcher podcast, which is the Netflix review show, which is great because we, we don't just sit there and review shows. We have on each episode two guests and one of them will pick a film that they've chosen and we will review it in a light-hearted way. So it can be anything from something that's new or a favourite or anything really as long as it's available on Netflix. And not only do you get to sort of hear about the film but it's also really great in that our guests are often podcast people or people who are doing interesting things so you can get to find out a little bit more about what they're doing yeah. as well I mean I enjoy watching the films and reviewing them but it's more I really enjoy finding out what other people yeah. are up to and what they might be podcasting on or what they might be up to yeah and it's got, it's got like the, one of the best uh, systems for working out like giving uh, num- numerical kind of scores to films it is a I've known. Unique, I like it a lot. Unique score, yeah. It's although we kind of worked out that it didn't basically films that are fantastic and brilliant on the big screen tend not to fare well on our scores because it doesn't suit the the small screen score. So, but that's okay because you're only marking them on whether they're good to watch on Netflix, right? That's, this is it, yeah. You know, that's that, having that niche, that focus. You need good. to understand the scores it's before good. you like. Yeah, go. yeah, yeah. Right. So you have to listen to the whole episode, <laughs> is what I'm saying. You def- they definitely should. I mean, I, I've never re- regretted listening to an episode of Fix Watch. So, yeah, um, the last thing I ask my guests uh, to do is to say goodbye to the audience. Well, I guess this is it. We're actually being kicked out by yeah, the security yeah. as well. So um, this is uh, goodbye from me. Yeah. Bye, everyone. Bye. So if you're interested in hearing about masculinity and what patriarchy does to men and to all people, then you might be interested in my solo show, What About the Men? Mansplaining Masculinity, which you can listen to for free as a podcast. And you can also read the survey of a thousand men's opinions about patriarchy and masculinity that I put together. You can find all of that stuff over on mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk or you can look for Stand Up Tragedy on iTunes and listen to the most recent podcast which is a full version of that show. If you're interested in reading about me and my dad and our relationship and dementia and memory and time and history and politics and love and friendship and again a little bit about masculinity then check out my essay series Down to a Sunless Sea Memories of My Dad. As well as making Getting Bear Acquainted, I also co-produce and, I guess, star in the magical realist audio drama podcast, The Family Tree. In order to keep making it and to make season two as good as we want it to be, we need your help. So if you can afford to, then please do consider signing up to our Patreon appeal. You can follow Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at GBA Podcast. You can like Getting Better Acquainted on Facebook. And you can find Getting Better Acquainted on iTunes, SoundCloud, those kind of places. But remember, there are lots of ways to get better acquainted.